It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Thursday edition of Locked On NBA. I am Jackson Gatlin, host of Locked On Rockets. He is Matt Moore, senior NBA writer at the Action Network and co-host of Locked On Nuggets. And we are here for the very first time on video. Now that we are launching all of our YouTube channels across the Locked On Network, Locked On NBA Thursday is now on video. So be sure to check us out at our new YouTube channel. Matt, how how does it feel being able to see me on video now? It's very exciting. I'm glad to be able to see your very young and annoyingly handsome face, Jackson. Oh, annoyingly handsome. I'll take that. It's great seeing you in crystal clear 4K high. De- okay, it's not 4K, but I mean, it, it's got you've got a great little streaming setup there, Matt. So if you're interested, go check out the YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button. We would sincerely appreciate it. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Only 2.6 carbs, 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for our Michelob Ultra moment coming up later in the episode. Now, Matt, we've got a you know loaded episode here today. We're going to talk about kind of some adjustments for the Suns and for the Bucks heading into game two of this finals uh, series. And frankly, I mean, game one was pretty much Suns all the way. And we're going to get into some of the adjustments that I think, I mean, you know, minimal adjustments here. But the big news for the Suns, Dario Saric, uh, regrettably, you know, ACL tear, right knee out indefinitely and wasn't a big part of what the Suns were doing, but it's still a blow nonetheless. You know, actually, in the playoffs, did you know that he had the best on-court net rating of any member of the Phoenix Suns? They were plus 12 per 100 possessions with Dario Saric on the floor in these playoffs. So while he wasn't playing a ton of minutes, uh, the minutes that he did play were very impactful. So I think one of the keys here with Saric out, the Suns lose their ability to go small ball. Like, they can't really go to small ball because you can't play five out. They played Torrey Craig at the five. I imagine the Bucs will probably attack that a lot more than they did in game one. Um, 
just with the reaction of Sarge not being out and realizing that that's kind of the matchup, I would imagine they'll probably go bigger and attack inside more versus those small ball lineups when Aiton is not on the floor. Because the only alternative otherwise for the Suns is Frank Kaminsky. And while I think Frank Kaminsky's done a really good job of earning himself a roster spot and played pretty well for the Suns down the stretch, there's a reason we haven't seen him at all in the playoffs. And that's because he's a liability. He'll get put in pick and roll situations by Drew Holiday he'll get attacked pretty consistently. So they don't want to do that. So this is a kind of a tough, this is a kind of a tough situation for the Suns. Sarge gave them a change of pace, five out option. Losing that, I think messes with the flow of the second unit, messes up with some of their rotations. It's not an insignificant loss. I don't think for the Suns. It, maybe. And again, I didn't want to tee it up and say, you know, it's it, the loss doesn't matter, but looking, you know, it, instinctively just looking at what he had played throughout the series. I think you're right. You know, he is that small ball five option for them. Where do they go from here? Right. Who who kind of. Uh, does Monty Williams allocate those minutes to who's going to see a bump? Do we think it's going to be more, more Tory Craig in that, I guess, pseudo small ball five role? Does it have to be Frank Kaminsky? I mean, what direction do we see them kind of going from here? Yeah, I mean, look, they can't play eight and 48. That's not viable. You're going to have to buy some minutes. I am kind of expecting, honestly, for there to be some Frank Kaminsky. I think that that's likely that, um, Monty Williams will go to that as just like a, all right, let's buy five minutes of rest. Like let's, let's get through two minutes here with Kaminsky on the court, see how it goes. If it's not an abject disaster, then they can go ahead and, and see how long they can get away with it. But that's, that to me, I think is the most likely uh, kind of counter that they've got. I mean, they'll play Craig at the, at, at small ball five. A lot of this is they're going to play those guys a lot of minutes anyway. So it's, it's acceptable for, uh, then to be able to get through, like you can play Craig with with all the other guys and just kind of piece it together. But Aiden's probably going to see a, a minutes bump. He's going to have to play a little bit longer, which that'll be a big key, right? Is can the Bucks get Aiden in foul trouble? Because if Aiden gets in foul trouble, now this is a real issue. But they're going to have to find a way to do that when Aiden's been a really low foul guy, and and they don't put him in in positions. He's hard to attack. So. That's, I think, going to be a big key. But if Aiden picks up foul trouble at any point in the series, things are going to get very dicey, I think, for the Suns. Kaminsky logged an incredible four minutes in game one and had a flat zero stat line across the board. Yep. He had the Tony Stell, the, the Tony Snell special with the, the graphic that circulates all the time on Twitter, the, the zero, zero, zero all the way down. Although not as not quite as impressive with, I think Tony Snell played like 28 minutes in that game or something to that effect. Um, so not quite as impressive there. But I mean, when you look at what the Suns were able to do in game one, the area that stood out to me, and this is going to be something that I'm sure that we kind of dissect a little bit as we're looking at the Bucks adjustments coming up here in segment two, but Chris Paul, Devin Booker, absolutely living in that mid-range. Um, I have it pulled up over here because I wanted to see what the actual numbers were for it. And their shooting numbers from the mid-range, I believe it was 14 of 33 from the mid-range. Where did I have that listed at? God, I should have had it pulled up immediately in front of my face, but they were living in the mid range. And it yeah. was because you had, you had a combination. Unfortunately, there was, there wasn't a winning scenario for the bucks. It felt like with Brooke Lopez, because you play the drop coverage with book or with Brooke, I should say, and he's getting eaten alive. Then you switch him onto Paul and Devin Booker and he's still get, getting eaten alive. So I know that we're talking about the sun's adjustments right now, but I mean, are there any needed adjustments, I guess, is my thing. Like, they played a pretty, not quite flawless game one, but a very strong game one out of the gate. 
I don't know. So I, I think here's like the a, a question for you is all right. So the Suns put up uh, a one fifteen point seven offensive rating. In the modern day NBA, does that feel like a high number to you? Not fine, right? right? Like it's yeah. fine. It's okay. It doesn't. It yeah. does. It doesn't jump off the page. I feel like I'd be more accustomed to hearing you know one twenty somewhere around that range, give or take. So the Bucks had a one hundred four offensive rating. Right. And you say like, oh, that's that's tremendous defense by the Phoenix Suns. That's despite the Bucks shooting actually a playoff season high from three. Like they shot 44 percent, which is their playoff season high uh, from three point range. And you can say like, this is all this is all great news for the Suns. The, the Bucks shot great from three and they still shot this terrible number. Well, think about that. That means that on easier shots closer to the rim. Those are the ones that the Bucks missed. Now, the Suns are the number one team in defending the rim in the playoffs. Amongst all teams, they defend the rim better than anybody else. However, even that differential does not account for how many layups the Bucks missed. A lot of this is, I think, if you're if I'm the Suns, I would say Chris Paul was fantastic. Cam Johnson was great. Mikhail Bridges was excellent. And everybody else is going to have to play better. Like Aiton was good. Well, where, where's the Aiton love in here? I thought I thought Aiton was personally incredible in this one. Like yeah. I, I really thought he anchored their defense phenomenally, did a great job of staying out of foul trouble, as you already illustrated early. And he just he quietly does his job. I mean, you look up and the the kid's got twenty two and nineteen on eight of ten shooting. Just shows up, does his job, sets the picks, you know, plays the defense, gets the boards, and that's it. And he just, you know, packs his bags and goes home. Like, I, I was thoroughly impressed with Aiton's play in this game. I honestly thought he had a better game than than Devin Booker did. He did. Devin Booker had another bad game. Um, he honestly hasn't had a great game since game one of the Clippers series. If you actually go back and look at the numbers, not great performances from Devin Booker. Um, this one looks a lot better because he got to the line 10 times, which if you ask Bucks fans about how they feel about that, they will be happy to give you some instruction. But the bigger thing, honestly, is even if you, without arguing about good calls or bad calls or whatever, I don't think it's arguable that the, the Suns got a good whistle. They obviously got a pretty good whistle, especially when you consider that the Bucks have the lowest allowed free throw rate of any team in the league. So you have this team that doesn't ever foul, and the Suns got to the line over and over and over again. Now you can say like, well, they haven't faced the Suns. Okay, sure. But they did face the Nets and they did face the Hawks. And those are two teams with a lot of offensive talent. I have some concerns about the Suns offense. I think that the Suns offense was reliant upon Paul. I think they got great shooting from specific players like Cam Johnson. Now, like Jay Crowder was terrible. The problem with being like, well, yeah, but Jay Crowder was awful. Crowder was really good in the semifinals and conference finals last year. And then in the finals struggled. Crowder's usually good for you for two series out of four. I'll also say they're, they're due. They're due for at least one game where like Jay Crowder shows up and drills like two or three triples in like the first quarter. I feel like they're due for one of those games, but you're like, I will side with you. Yeah, sure. Jay Crowder is, is not going to be a guy that you need to, you can't rest your offensive hopes on Jay Crowder showing up and giving you a consistent 10 to 15 points on a nightly basis. Right. Can't be and that. You got two of four from shooting from Mikhail Bridges and two of four shooting from Cam Johnson. I think that's replicable. Those guys got created pretty good looks. And some of that was the Bucks. The Bucks defense surrendered those. And we'll talk about those issues in the second segment. I just think that if you're the Suns, I think it's very dangerous to sit there and go, no, we're, no, we like everything was great. Like there were, I think, lapses offensively. I think. The biggest question I think I have is how do you get Booker going? Um, 
maybe the simple answer to that is you force the Bucks to put Drew Holiday on Chris Paul, and that loosens things up. I went back and looked at, at stuff today. They sent waves of defenders at Booker. I mean, they sent three, sometimes four defenders at Booker. And the end result was fine because the Bucks couldn't shoot layups at all. I think that there are going to be some concerns with if the Bucks are able to do a few things differently, this next game is going to look a lot different. And then I think the pressure shifts. I do think the Bucks are the Suns need to clean up some of their defensive stuff. And I think in particular, I think offensively, they have to get to a higher gear even more than this. I don't think 115 is going to be good enough to win this series. I think the Bucks are going to be able to play better defense as this series goes along, and the Suns are going to have to be even crisper. There were some great performances. Like, they moved the ball excellent last night. They moved the ball brilliantly. But I do think that there are some things that they're going to have to clean up going forward. This wasn't a flawless performance. All right, let's let's flip the script, and we'll get into talking about things from the Milwaukee Bucks angle in just a moment after we bring in our Michelob Ultra moment. Now, for me, I mean, if I'm picking a moment, and I'm going to pick a moment from this game, like, I mean, it's got to pick the moment from this game. I'm going to pick the Chris Paul moment where he just kind of started taking over in the third quarter because he started sinking multiple buckets in a row. And I think that was just kind of, it, it was just vintage Chris Paul. And we'd seen it in some of the closeout games. We saw it against the Clippers. But then for him to come in, walk into his first finals game ever to, you know, drop what wound up becoming 32 points on the evening, uh, I believe what oldest player 36 and above to, to score 30 plus in a finals game or something to that effect. It was somewhere around that, that record. I'm going with that as my, as my Michelob ultra moment. What about you, Matt? For me, it's just tip off. It was that moment. Think about it. Think of it this way. You got two franchises that haven't won a title in 50 years for the box and never for the Suns. You got two franchises that are not considered these elite glamour markets. You got two great fan bases the building just absolutely rocking in Phoenix. We spent a year without real crowds in stadiums, a, f- a stadium full of fans. Absolutely. Like you could hear it bleeding through the TV, so much intensity, such a fun atmosphere, great basketball. Like this is just a great finals. And to have that tip off, it's really great to just be able to celebrate that moment. This is a cool finals. It's great to have sports like back, back. We're not in a bubble Everything feels much better. This is an awesome finals to enjoy. Tip off for me was your Michelob Ultra moment. You know what? We're gonna you know what we're gonna start doing, Matt. We're gonna start logging our Michelob Ultra moments, and we're gonna see which mo- whose moment wins because I feel like your moment just absolutely trumped my moment just now because I wanted to get really granular with it and think of like a specific moment from the game, and you were just like, "No, we've got this beautiful just illustrate this beautiful tapestry of happiness and enjoyment and all the buildup leading up to this because." Right. It's not about it's not about the the end game. Enjoyment is the entire game. And we it's been a long, crazy journey to get to this point, to get to this spot in the season where we did finally have an NBA finals performance, which some thought all the way back at the start of the year. Would it even be possible? Can we get to this point, you know, without the bubble, without, you know, with all these covid precautions and, you know, all the different uh hiatuses the teams had to take all the delayed games but we finally made it and now we get to talk about the nba finals so i'm in agreement with you your your moment trumps my moment and that is going to be our Michelob ultra moment of this week this is jake from locked on locked on has teamed up with state farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in nba history after beating the heat led by lebron james and Dwayne wade in 2011 dirk nowitzki won an nba title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time but there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. 
Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And continuing on here at Locked on NBA Thursday, he is Matt Moore, I am Jackson Gatlin, and we are going to dive into the Bucks side of things. Now, Matt, for me, the area that I was like kind of impressed with it was this, the, the split little bit of time that we got to see Giannis, you know, as kind of the small ball five for the Bucks when they kind of made their run uh, tail into the fourth beginning of, or sorry, tail into the third, I should say beginning of the fourth uh, in that range. Because again, I, and I already illustrated this earlier, but the Brooke Lopez situation, I mean, I can't not envision him getting played off the court in this hmm. series. Like it's just tough. Uh, I'm on the exact opposite side from you. Okay. All right. Let's no. hear it. Let's go for uh, it. I am captain of the drop sucks, never play drop brigade. Okay. I've always been against it. I think it's you're surrendering an open look to quality shooters exactly like Chris Paul. And that's why like you can't play drop and you can't play you know, guys like Brick Lopez. Here's the problem. Okay. There's two things with this. With this. One is Chris Paul more dangerous when he's asked to score a high amount on contested looks or is he more dangerous when he's dishing and getting everybody involved? I would absolutely say the latter. Um, this is the big thing. You can play drop better than the Bucks did, and they've done that throughout these playoffs, and they simply did not do it well in game one. They switched right off the bat. That was the first thing that they did was, we're going to start our usual starters, and we're going to switch everything, which that's like a, that's a half measure. It's... We're not going to just play drop and give you that. We're going to we're going to switch everything, but we're still going to play Brooke Lopez because we want the size. One of the problems with that is that Chris Paul is just going to like there are players that wouldn't do this. I think there are very few guards, honestly, that will immediately in game one right off the bat hunt the matchup. Chris Paul hunted the matchup. He was like, OK, if, if this is the plan, I'm going to hit you with this over and over and over again. Now, when the Bucks switched it up they had a lot more success. So as a comparison here, um, I actually pulled these numbers uh, from, I was given these numbers uh, from somebody with access to second spectrum data. And the results were really, really interesting in terms of how they performed on the drop. So Chris Paul versus centers in the playoffs on switches, he scores 1.2 points per play. If that number doesn't mean anything to you, it's basically hotter than the sun. <laughs> Versus guards and forwards on switches, he scores 0. .820. Now, that's obviously much better. Here's the other key. Versus drop last night, he actually scored about one point per possession versus drop coverage. That's about what he's averaging in the playoffs versus drop. The problem was they played him with P.J. Tucker on him and because they wanted to get Drew Holiday on Booker. The Bucks' gambit was, we're going to take out Booker. And we're going to switch everything so you can't get open threes. But Paul cooked them over and over again. And this is the this is the other part of whenever you play a scheme. It's not just you know what scheme you play 
and how you play it. It's can you withstand the pressure and be disciplined and not break it? Because what started happening as that game went on was when Brooke was in one-on-one coverage, Giannis or Holiday or Middleton were helping over on Chris Paul to try and stop him. And the minute, the, the nanosecond that Chris Paul saw them helping, it was a quick dish to that guy's man who immediately shot a three. And now you got the worst of both worlds. That's how you end up with a game where Chris Paul not only scored over 30 points, which is not exactly common at this point in Chris Paul's career. No. But he dishes nine assists as well. You can't, if Chris Paul scores 32 and has one assist, the Bucks win that game. If Chris Paul has nine assists and Chris Paul scores 18, the Bucs win that game. You cannot give up both. The way that you do that is you put Drew Holiday on him. Because Drew Holiday, unlike Tucker, can get over the screen and contest him. And Chris Paul, at this point in his career, when he feels a good defender on his hip, when he knows it's Drew Holiday, he will rethink and will reset. And this was like I saw this in the regular season clips that I pay attention to. Holiday would apply enough pressure to force him to reset. And that way... If he takes a contested shot, he's not going to feel comfortable. Booker, Middleton actually did a pretty good job on Booker. I think at this point, you tr- you put more pressure on Paul and drop. With Booker, you switch it. With Paul, you play drop and make sure Drew Holiday is the one pressuring. That small adjustment, Jackson, along with some stuff on the offensive end for the Bucs, I think is enough for them to win game two. See, okay, so first off, because I want to go a little bit further back to the Brooke Lopez situation and just, you know, relying on his size. I mean, I want to bring up this number. The the Suns managed to shoot 76% at the rim in this game. Like, that's pretty solid. And so, you know, I do, and I think some of that might be a catalyst because of all the times that, you know, Brooke Lopez was being drawn out to the perimeter and drawing his size away from the rim, which is opening things up inside, taking him out of the, you know, out of the paint for rebounding opportunities, things like that. We saw plenty of second chance opportunities for the Suns, but I, I, where do you, so if you're the Suns, right, where do you go? If you, how do you scheme your defense? If you want to put Drew Holiday on Chris Paul, because I actually, I agree with you. I wasn't a big fan of, of PJ Tucker starting on Chris Paul. I thought that was kind of an odd, you know, decision defensively for the Bucs and again you know made sense okay they want to take away Devin Booker but then what do you do so you do Holiday on Paul conceivably you got to put Middleton on Booker then at that point or do you put Tucker on Booker um I think you put I think you put Tucker on Booker and the reason that you do that is um he's not quite as lightning quick like Booker's fast he's more athletic the athleticism is fine for Tucker. He can, he's big enough. He can jump with them. Right. Paul, the problem was he's so quick. He's like, when they play drop with Tucker, he ducked under and immediately sprinted out to the baseline and hit like beautiful fadeaway shots that are completely in his comfort zone. Cause Tucker can't get over enough to bother him. But versus on switches, I think you're totally fine with with Booker and on ISOs as well. And then you, you're basically saying like Booker's going to probably try and force the switch anyway you live with the switch on that because Booker is a fantastic passer. I got to stress this. Like he's an awesome passer. He's not the person we literally call the point God. The difference in passing ability is significant. And Booker is a lot more likely to probably zero in and shoot that jumper over Brooke Lopez. And I think that that's an actually okay. The numbers bear out that versus switches Booker is not as good. He's great versus drop, not as good versus switches. Chris Paul's the opposite. Like, for whatever reason, that's the opposite. And additionally, I think if Booker, again, this is the big key, if Booker's scoring 30, but he doesn't have eight assists, 
that's fine. You're going to have to live with one of those two having a huge game. Like either Booker or Paul are going to have a big game. That's just how it's going to have to be. But I think you need to be able to play that way. If you go to Giannis at five and you just switch everything, you the problem I think there is you're losing. Like, Look at what happened on the rebounding end. Aiden is going to eat them alive on offensive rebounds. That's what happened a lot with the Hawks and with the Nets. That was a problem for the Bucks. You switch everything, they will just get Giannis out on the perimeter, and then Aiden will eat you up inside on the offensive glass. I think you need Brooke Lopez there. You need to be able to contest the lob, which is something that Lopez can do. You need the size. You need the rebounding advantage. You just need to do what you do better. I think that this really is a, a kind of a key component. Now, I think versus the small ball lineups, the Bucks should absolutely get Giannis out there. Like whenever Aiden's not on the floor, Giannis should be in at five for as much as he can on that knee. And if you can do that, I think you can attack a lot more and you can get the advantage in terms of size. Do you think you, do you realistically see Bud like staggering his lineup though with Giannis to counter those eight minutes to try and, you know, min max Giannis's ability on the floor? Because I do think that there were, even though we had stretches where we did see like, you know, traditional Giannis, you know, going 110, you know, full speed. I think there were definitely some moments where he was maybe a little bit not, you know, full, you know, foot gas, foot straight on the gas pedal, right? Where I think he was a bit cautious at times of fully exerting himself. And I think the play where he really, you know, finally went 110 to see how, you know, what his body was capable of was that chase down block, which the fact that people started comparing that to the LeBron block is just kind of ridiculous. I mean, it was, it was a cool block, but it wasn't the LeBron. It wasn't the LeBron one. Um, but I, I still feel like he was kind of still feeling himself out in this game. And I'm expecting him to be a bit more aggressive in this next one, especially because post game, right? He said he felt fine, you know, throughout the game. So I, I think we're going to see a more aggressive, more, traditional version of Giannis this next game because he wasn't Superman this game like he usually is and that that's notable this is you know just an observation for me to me it very much seemed like it wasn't that it hurt or he was uncomfortable it seemed like he was uncertain that like he was a little worried that if I plant on it too hard what's gonna like just a little hesitant and that's understandable for the situation that he's in I also think that over time he's going to get, I think he's going to get healthier as the series goes along. Provided he doesn't suffer another injury, please, God, please. Can we not, can we just go one game? No one, more injuries, one game please. With, without any more. Um, I think he'll attack Aiden more. We talked about what's the impact of Aiden getting in foul trouble. Giannis is your ticket to that. Is Giannis just attacks over and over and over again. And if Aiden gets in foul trouble, again, they're in real, real trouble. That's going to allow them to eat at the rim, which is a big problem for them. On the offensive end for the Bucs, like, there's so much stuff they can clean up, Jackson. Just like they miss so many layups. Here, here's a good example of what happened in this game. I, I looked up this number on, on um, Second Spectrum. They've got quantified shot quality, which is like how good should your shot be? And then your actual, and then like what's the difference between the two? The Bucs shot better on jumpers than they were supposed to they did they had better uh shot making on jumpers they had worse shot making on literally everything else they shot 1.7 percent worse on layups like they they missed the easiest shots at a higher percentage and you can say look well that's deandre aiden and making the impact some of it for sure some of it the bucks were just missing shots they fouled a lot they are a low foul team they turned the ball over a lot they're a low turnover team they didn't shoot well at the rim. There were great points in the paint team. So uh, I think the Bucs are, are, are due for a much better performance. I like the Bucs actually a lot to win game two. 
Oh, okay. Well, that's that's our uh, that's our little bit of a spicy take as we're rolling into our final segment. But first, we got a message from our friends over at rockauto.com because look, why would you want to spend up to 30, 50 or even 100% more for the exact same car parts at like a traditional like brick and mortar store when you can just jump online, use rockauto.com, their catalog, really easy to navigate. You can jump online, find all the brands, specifications, everything you need for your car in a matter of minutes. It's super easy to use, really intuitive. You can get brake parts, tail lamps, I mean, motor oil, brand new carpet, whatever you need, they've got it over at rockauto.com. So head over to their website, check out their catalog of products. And when you check out, be sure to write locked on in there. How did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast, and being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Thursday as we continue our discussion. Now, Matt, I want to like take things and I want to continue this, you know, Bucks Suns centric conversation. But I, I, you know, you said you're really feeling Bucks in Game Two. I'm still firmly in the camp of Suns in Six. Like that's that's the mentality that I came in with. I think that the Suns are the better poised team to take this, and part of that stems from I have a really hard time betting against a Chris Paul led team. As long as he's healthy again, knock on wood, all of that, right. He's battling a, you know, a plethora of, you know, little nagging injuries. Now he, I don't think he's got a working hand on either side of his body at this point. Um, But it's really hard for me to bet against a Chris Paul led team. Has, has that changed for you after game one? Are you where, where's your official prediction at for this? Uh, I've got Suns and Six, and I still like Suns and Six. So I was on Bucks up until I did the deep dive on it. Um, I I liked the Bucks to win the title pretty consistently throughout the playoffs, even before then. Like I was predicting a Bucks title before the playoffs began. Um, when I got into the specifics of this series, however, and I looked at at things, I just think that it's very likely that the Bucks are not going to be able to shoot well enough to be able to beat the Suns. I think that's going to be the big problem. Um, however, this is one of the problems is when you get wrapped into like, well, I think the Suns are going to win. Uh, and like you say, well, how many? Well, probably Suns and six. And it's like, okay, well, they're going to have to lose two games somewhere. So um, that that to me is, I, I, I am so granular, Jackson. I'll tell you, I, I like the Suns in game one. Made it made a pretty penny on that game. I like the Bucks a lot in game two. I like the Bucks in game three. I think the Suns then win three straight. That's my prediction. Is it good? Really? Yes. It goes Suns, Bucks, Bucks, Suns, Suns, Suns. Okay. All right. That that is an interesting take. Okay. 
what, so what what stands out to you so much about this game too? Why do you think do you think that the the Suns are just going to you know kind of cruise in a game too? Do you think the the Bucks are going to make the adjust as we kind of have already hammered out the adjustments on both sides? And it, what is it about game two and three that you think are going to lean so heavily in the Bucks' favor? Uh, game three is pretty easy. Just role players make more shots at home. Bucks Suns will be on on the road. Um, I think that that's a game where it's probably going to be a slugfest that the Bucks wind up winning. Um, the Bucks have so many more adjustments that they can make in the game too. It's it's hard to make adjustments after you win. That's just a difficult thing to do. Um, if you look at the things that are available to the Bucks, they're not. It'd be one thing because the the common response is you really trust Mike Budenholzer to make adjustments. And my counter is like one, he's made adjustments throughout these entire playoffs. You have to pay attention to, to actually know that. Two, uh, the adjustment is to actually just go back to their comfort zone. Like they tr- they got too cute. Like they they got outside of the box in game one and were like, we're gonna switch everything versus Chris Paul for some reason and not play Drew Holiday on Chris Paul. And you can say, like, well, yeah, because they shut down Booker. I think Holiday. Pro- what was surprising me about that decision was that if you look at the regular season performance, Middleton did fine on Booker. They didn't even shut down Booker. He just had an inefficient night. He still got to yeah. 27. It was just an inefficient 27. I'll just, I'll, well, I'll just tell you this. Uh, he may have gotten to 27. I do not think that that whistle is a sustainable product. So like 10 free throws is, is, is quite a bit like that's a, that's a healthy amount for Devin Booker. Um, so I think that that's that he'll likely probably I, I don't see Booker. I think Booker's going to have a game in the series. I just don't think he has it in game two. If I'm wrong, then I'm way wrong. Like I, I also the, it might not be the 10 free throws, but like, does he go one for eight again? Like the for, from three? I mean, yeah, but here's the here's the thing, though, Jackson is like, I think he can score 35 and they can still lose like that to me is the model is that Devin Booker scores a lot. You stay home on the shooters. You do better at the rim and you cause Chris Paul to not absolutely burn you into ashes. Okay. But if you're going to have to live with one of them, like these are superstar players. I, you can live with Devin Booker as long as you're not giving up 37 and nine or a 40 point triple double. Again, you can deal with the scoring. You're going to have to deal with the scoring. They're going to make shots. Like there's no way to stop these guys. You can go Giannis and play five and switch all five. They're still going to cook. They're going to find the weaknesses and they're going to exploit them and they're going to attack them. I do think that the Bucks will play better in game. I, th- I think honestly, the biggest thing is that I think this Suns offense has struggled a lot, like a lot. One fifteen, given everything that went right for them, is honestly a little bit of a concerning number. And they had a lot of really bad performances versus the Clippers. Had a great game six. I expected them to have a great game six, and they did. This Suns offense is the side that's a little bit more beatable, and I think the the Bucks can play better offensively to get this even and win a tight one in game two. I like the momentum carrying them in game three. I think the Suns will probably find an adjustment and beat them in game four and going forward. Okay. Well, with that, let's, because I was having this discussion with a few people earlier, so let's let's throw this out there because I think it's an interesting topic, but no matter who comes out of the series, obviously we're both favoring Suns and six still. Yours is a little bit more specific as far as the prediction compared to mine, but Regardless of who comes out of the series, Suns or Bucks, whichever whoever's crowned the champion from this series, is this where where would we rank the the team that comes out of the series as far as like previous champions are concerned? Say like the past like decade, like because to me, this is kind of like a 
one of the weaker teams. Like whether it's Bucks or Suns, I kind of view them as one of the weaker teams. Definitely not top five of the last decade. Like, and I'd argue bottom three of the last decade. So if we run through those really quick, starting from the very beginning of the decade, right? We'll go through all the all the champions. So we've got the Mavericks led by Dirk. We got the Heatles back to back. We've got the Spurs. We've got the Warriors first chip. We've got the Cavs chip. Warriors back to back. Raptors. And then the Lakers from the Mickey Mouse championship. So of those 10 teams, right? 10 teams. Yeah, it's been a decade. Where do we rank either the Suns or Bucks in that in that dynamic as far as whichever team does win the title? Because I think they're on the lower end of that spectrum. But the 11 teams, Canada 2011 team. Um, here's where I've got it. Okay, this is my ranking. I love this question, by the way. So one of the things that I've argued uh, and wrote, I've written about a lot in my career is like great teams. And there have been a lot of, of finals teams that have won the title that were not great teams that were not like truly great teams really good not truly great um i do think that my number one team is the warriors of 2017 just yeah steamrolled the entire league yeah you just look back and they were just i mean it was unfair how good they were uh the second for me is the warriors in 2015 the team was number one in defensive efficiency and they were number one in pace. They were the first team to ever do that, to be the fastest team in the league that also played the best defense. Yeah, that was like Steph's first MVP season, the first career, the first year of the real Splash Brothers. Like that team was incredible. They, if you can talk about Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love getting hurt, that's fair. There's injuries on all these teams' resumes. Like they face teams with injuries on all these ones. That Warriors team was legitimately awesome in 2015. Uh, Heat 2012 was my third best. Um, that team was underrated how great it was. LeBron just brutalized teams in the post. Just the way that he was able to do that. And then you like you had all the shooters, you had Shane Battier, you had all these guys. That team was fantastic. The Heat in 2013 is my fourth one. The 2013 finals remain the best finals I've ever seen. That is the best basketball I've ever seen played. It was the highest level. Like both ends, both teams, so good at everything. That series was absolutely just, it was art. Um, Spurs 2014 is number five. Just okay. beautiful game. Uh, I think we're still in great team territory. Warriors 2018, starting to get a little tired. They were a little grouchy at each other, not getting along <laughs> great. Only really you know made it to the finals because Chris Paul gets hurt. Sorry, Jackson. Um <laughs> It's still a great team. Mavericks. I'll be okay. Yeah, I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, Mavericks 2011 is my seventh. Um, I think they get, they get on there. I will call them a great team. Great collection of veterans. Knocked off the Heatles. Like, that, team had, that team had a, you know, everybody, and I feel like everybody had them pegged as too old going in. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, but that team had a beautiful mix of so many savvy veteran guys and really all they they all just got hot at the right time i mean they they were perfect that postseason tyson chandler sean marion just like so many guys on the on those teams the right right mix of everybody yeah and jet was so good that year too everyone forgets forgets him um and then number eight i have this year's team jackson i think you're wrong i think I think this year's team is is uh, going to be a really great one. Look, it's either the Bucks, who have been a top three seed in the Eastern Conference the last three seasons, with a two time MVP, 
an all-defensive guard in Drew Holiday, a multi-time all-star in Chris Middleton, P.J. Tucker, the vaunted veteran, a team that's great on both ends of the floor, a team that can spread you out, a team with Brooke Lopez, who does so many good things for them. Like, this is a legitimately great team that just hasn't been able to find a way through. On the other side, you got a Suns team. This team had the best record versus the best teams in the league by a wide margin whether it's top 10 in efficiency or top 10, the teams that were top 10, in both offense and defense, the Suns were the best this year. They beat the best teams consistently. And they're so balanced on offense. They're so balanced on defense. Even if the injury, they had not, part of it is there's this idea that they're not as good because they didn't have to face the teams full at full strength. They probably still win those series. I think they still beat the Clippers with Kawhi. I still think they beat the Nuggets with Jamal Murray, and I picked the Nuggets in that series. So, like, I think that both these teams are, are really great. I think you're, I think you're off on that. I think these two teams are so balanced and really good, and led by like top level guys. Well, that well, I, it, I did, I didn't say that they were bad. I just said compared to the last decade, yeah. I think that they fall into like that bottom, like bottom three territory. And you listed off seven teams ahead of either this Bucks or Sun squad. Yeah, so, but, but look at but look at who we're comparing them to. Look at those other seven teams. It's the Heat with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. The Warriors with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and in two of the three. I, and I guess that w- that was kind of my whole premise. Is it's yeah. not. I don't. I don't want to. I guess let me put it this way. Let me rephrase a little bit because I, I feel like I need to backtrack here a little bit. It wasn't supposed to be a disservice to either this Bucks team or this Suns team. I think it was more just supposed to be highlighting how elite the talent has been and how great some of these teams have been for the last decade, which is why it's, it's, I don't want to say again, underwhelming seems like a disservice to the Suns and Bucks because they are good teams. They're great teams, but they're not like historically great teams. Like some of the, some of the teams that we've seen over this last 10 years. Well, let's see how it goes. Like if the Suns run it back, if Suns win this one and then run it back, we're probably going to look at them a little bit differently. Aren't we? Like Devin Booker with two titles, DeAndre Aiden with two titles, Mikhail Bridges with two titles at this young of an age, like that that starts to change. I think some of the, of the conversation. The other thing I think is they're not going to feel that big because they're like look at they're very specifically look at these. It's the teams above them outside of the Mavericks were two f- free agency created super teams, and then the Spurs built around a Hall of Fame trio like these are not super teams but in terms of actually great teams and how they play together i i think the suns team definitely matches up i think this bucks team can match up if they can ever put the ball in the friggin hole <laughs> i mean well we'll, we'll see what I, happens I in game before two. we go though yeah I, uh, I have right after them a number eight is last year's lakers team because they won in the bubble and anthony davis had a bunch of jumpers great LeBron James is awesome. Great defense. I wouldn't say they're necessarily an, an, a great all-time team. Okay. Uh, the 2016 Cavaliers, who knocked off that Warriors team of 73 wins, but the comeback was so incredible because they weren't that great of a team. It was an absolutely remarkable moment. And then the last team was the 2019 Raptors, who uh, I think were uh, a really good team that managed to hit the right moments. Okay. All right. I can. I, I. I agree with all of that. Honestly, with where with where you kind of slotted this year's Bucks and Suns. I still think it was sort of technically right for me because I said bottom three. So I'm gonna stand. I'm gonna st- stand Stick steadfast by that. Stick um, with it. Never. Never back down. 
Never back down, but that's going to be it. Some Bucks fans, you can find Jackson on Twitter at JT Gatlin for saying your team's not good. That's what yeah. And, hey, and Suns fans, right? Because I guess I kind of threw shots at both. No, that really wasn't what I was going for, but <laughs> it, was, it was a fun thought exercise nonetheless. But you can track me down, as Matt has already pointed out, at JT Gatlin. You can track Matt down at HP Basketball. Of course, follow the official Locked on NBA account at Locked on NBA Pods. But Matt, you got anything else before we close close up shop here? Uh, just enjoy these finals. It's a lot of fun. We got we have the draft Jackson in 21 days, and then we have free agency in about 30 in about 30 days, and, and then we have less than that now. With 22 days, we have we have free agency, and then the NBA season, like the first preseason game, is in 87 days. Very, very fast turnaround. And hopefully this will be our last like fast turnaround on the NBA season. Again, knock on wood, get things, you know, back to some semblance of normalcy next season. But that's going to do it for our show today. Quick reminder that starting July 19th, the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey featuring analysis from the GOAT of NBA Mock Drafts, Chad Ford, and Odyssey NBA experts Brian Scalabrini and former general manager Ryan McDonough. Our Locked On NBA local experts will make selections and trades for your favorite basketball teams throughout this week-long special event, search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is your audio home for all the sports, podcasts, music, and news, all that matters to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Now, that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked on NBA Thursday. Again, track down Matt on Twitter at HP Basketball. Track me down at JT Gatlin. Listen to Locked on Nuggets. Listen to Locked on Rockets. Tell all your friends and family to check out the Locked on NBA podcast don't forget to follow the show apple podcast spotify google podcast stitcher the brand new odyssey app wherever you listen to your podcast and check out the brand new locked on nba youtube channel but that's going to do it for today's show as always thank you so much for watching for listening and we look forward to having you back right here Ooh, at locked on nba thursday that was a mouthful Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.